This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hi, I'm Hanif Baharudin and this is Gigi Well Played, the show that talks about all things video games. This week, we're going to look at the Epic Games vs. Apple battle again, but this time from the legal angle. But before that, here's a recap of some of the biggest news in the world of gaming with Daryl Ong and Dashran Johan. Alright, thank you Hanif. First story of the day is on developer Ubisoft who made headlines last week after the company claimed that it will be focusing on more big-budget free-to-play games over their typical AAA releases. Yes, and this seems to be a trend in the industry as sales of premium games have been getting smaller and have been bringing in less revenue compared to revenue from live services, DLC, mobile and microtransactions. Yeah, to cope with this, a lot of publishers are now considering better ways to sustain their business which means adopting a free-to-play model that's potentially more profitable and sustainable on a longer term. So, in their meeting with investors, Ubisoft's financial boss Frederick Duguet said that the company's focus on releasing three to four big-budget games per year was no longer, and I quote, a proper indication of our value creation dynamics. However, this does not mean that they'll be abandoning their big-budget AAA title. Instead, it's likely that they'll release F2P versions of these franchises alongside premium single-player experiences. Yeah, they cited the Call of Duty franchise as an example of AAA games existing in a free-to-play realm via Warzone, uh, but they're still having the premium component released alongside it like COD Black Ops Cold War last year. Mm. In fact, efforts towards uh, that seem to have started already with Ubisoft announcing that The Division Heartland, a free-to-play version of their multiplayer game that has garnered a cult following together with a mobile version that's currently in development. Yeah, initially reports suggested that Ubisoft were looking to abandon this existing model in favour of going full-on FTP model, uh, but they have since clarified that these F2P games will be developed alongside annual full-price AAA releases. Yes, despite that though, a conversation around whether this will be the future or the new normal in the industry has started with traditional gamers mostly against the idea. Yeah, if you'd like us to explore this topic further, do let us know. Write in to us at ggwp at bfm.my Alright, next, head of the PlayStation Studios, Herman House, said that there will be more than 25 PlayStation 5 games in development, with half of them being fresh new IPs. Yes, with some big games from existing franchises already announced, such as sequels to God of War and Horizon Zero Dawn, Hulst, in an interview with Wired, also said that there are other games that are coming that might not be necessarily from the first-party studios as well. Yeah, he cited exclusives such as Returnal and Sackboy, a big adventure as example of games that are published by studios not owned by Sony. And this is perhaps good news for fans who are now waiting for more fresh games being announced for their new console. Although, for people who have not gotten their consoles yet, you might want to still be patient as, you know, in a se- in separate news, Sony has also said that they expect the tight supply of PS5 to continue till next year. Yeah, this comes as the demand for a new console, of course, is higher than ever, mm. with supply not being able to catch up due to a global silicon shortage even if they manage to ramp up production later this year. So for those of you out there who are still waiting for your PS5, well, uh, just be a little bit more patient, yeah? (laughs) 
Alright, moving on to eSports and Valve. They have finally announced that their 10th edition of the International TI, which was delayed last year, will now take place this August in Stockholm, Sweden. Hmm. So the group stage will take place from the 5th to the 10th of August, with the main event kicking off on the 10th itself. So the grand finals to crown the next champion is scheduled to take place on the 15th of August. Yeah, while these dates have been announced, the organisers are still waiting for additional details before further announcements can be made considering how fluid situations are these days with the global pandemic, so expect more details in June. So last but not least, a little bit of rumours. So Hades, Supergiant Sensation and recipient of many Game of the Year awards last year might be coming to PlayStation 4 soon. That's right. This comes after Korea's Game Rating and Administration Committee has rated the game for release in the country as spotted by one discerning internet user fueling further speculation of the game's impending arrival on the Sony console. Yes, the document also indicates that Take-Two will be the publisher for the PS4 version. Yeah, for now, exclusively, Hades is only available on PC and Nintendo Switch uh, since it was released last year. But considering its success, it is almost a given that the game will be ported to other platforms eventually. Yeah, but nothing has been confirmed as of yet. But let's cross our fingers and hope that this is true. Yeah, and do stay tuned. That's all we have for this week's news recap. Back to you, Hanif. Thank you very much, Daryl and Dashran. Moving on, we're going to continue our conversation on the Epic Games versus Apple saga, but this time we're going to look at it from the legal perspective. To help me with that is Leslie Lim, a lawyer from Ma Wenkwai and Associates. All right. Hi, Hanif. Uh, thanks so much for having me back again. Uh, very excited to talk about this topic. It's been in all the news and it's still ongoing in terms of the trial proceedings. Uh, but before maybe we delve into the legal aspects of the trial proceedings, let's just talk about, you know, what brought about the suit. And I think the fateful day was 13 August 2020, where Fortnite's developer, Epic Games, basically announced that uh, it was going to roll out its own direct payment system. And through that payment system, basically players would be able to pay a lower cost for the in-game currency, which is the V-Bucks. Uh, and that would be a 20% discount. So I think if, if previously people were paying like $9.99, now people would be able to pay like $7.99 US dollars instead. But this is of course uh, in violation of Apple's rules and policies. And so on that day, on 13 August 2020, Tim Sweeney, which is the CEO of Epic, actually wrote an email to Tim Cook, which is Apple CEO, at, at 2 a.m. And he said, you know, Tim to Tim, I'm writing you this email to let you know that Epic is no longer going to adhere to Apple's processing payment restrictions. And we are now going to launch our own Epic direct payment. And we're going to pass on all the savings to our customers. Uh, and what happened directly after that was that Fortnite was immediately taken off both Apple and Google's uh, app stores and the Google Play store. But clearly Epic was prepared for this. You know, it's, it's as if they sort of launched the bullet and they were prepared to go into this battle because what came out after that was a 65-page lawsuit filed in the, uh, the U.S. District Court of California. But other than the legal side, I thought it was really brilliant and, and I hope that we can go a bit more into this was the PR side of things because Epic also launched a commercial. You know, they, they launched this commercial which was essentially, you know, taking a jab at Apple's 1984 ad and then they launched this hashtag and, and tried to just get everyone into this fight uh, against the Apple app tax uh, where the hashtag was basically free Fortnite. Uh, so 
that's sort of where we are now in terms of the legal proceedings and uh, you know the social movement that's ongoing to free Fortnite. So the PR side of things is pretty interesting because they seem to be carrying a certain form of quote-unquote agenda, right? Uh, and, and based on their messaging, it seems like they are fighting for something. Perhaps maybe you can explain what are they actually fighting for here? Well, I'm, I'm not a PR person per se, but this is just, you know, from, from my readings and seeing what's been going on, on online, the legal fight is important because obviously the decision of the judge is going to be, for lack of a better word, it's going to be epic. It's going to have huge implications. We can talk about that as well. But on the PR side, let's take the players, for example. You know, are players, who, you know, the, the how many 125 million, are they actually going to care what's going on in court? But they are so important. They are the main stakeholders to publishers like Epic. And so this PR strategy and this PR game that they're playing is, is important because one of the documents that, that has come up in the process of the trial is this uh, document called Project Liberty Update. Okay, And this is basically that, that PR strategy that Epic has rolled out. Uh, and the documents show that Epic has actually been laying the groundwork since 2018. So this is like a two-year-in-the-making sort of thing. And it seems like the goal is like, okay, let's let's get the public to turn on Apple and to turn on Google without making us look like the bad guys. Yeah, and, and it's pretty brilliant because through Project Liberty, you know, everyone has taken such a huge interest in the court case. You know, in, in ordinary circumstances, this court case would have been interesting to, to people like you and me, you know, uh, people in the legal business and maybe tech journalists. But it's now become this social event. It's, it was streamed live on Twitch and YouTube. You know, people were live tweeting it as if it was like an E3 conference or a WWDC conference, you know. So it's, it's really turned into that, that social event that everyone wanted to be a part of. But I think other than, uh, you know, getting the, the public and their stakeholders involved, it makes me wonder, is, is there a strategy in here to win some other corporate friends like Sony, Microsoft, Samsung? And, and these are parties that are mentioned in the trial proceedings as well. Um, it's, it's as if like, okay, hey guys, come support Epic. Because if Epic is going to be successful in this trial proceedings, you guys are going to benefit from this as well because that Apple tax applies supposedly across the board to all developers. Mm. Okay, Leslie. Um, now, let's talk about it from the legal perspective. So when we look at the suit, which has been uh, filed in the US District Court of California, uh, and why it's California for a couple of reasons. So California, because if you look at the complaint that's been filed, uh, there's one portion that talks specifically about jurisdiction. So on the basis that uh, Apple's headquarters is in California, the other reason is because the developer agreement that was signed between Epic and Apple says that if there's any litigation or dispute between the parties, it's going to be heard in California. And just a side note, uh, as much as we're talking about the legal proceedings that are taking place in the US, um, I'm not sure how many people know, but Epic has also filed similar proceedings against Apple in Australia, UK and Europe as well. And this took place like November last year, uh, all the way up to January this year. So the thing with law is that jurisdiction plays an important role. So as you know, different countries have different laws. So when we talk more about the US proceedings, we're talking about US laws. And then when you know, the trial proceeding takes place in Australia, UK and Europe, uh, the laws of those countries will apply instead. So something to bear in mind. So is there a possibility of them, say for example, winning 
and changing things in the US but status quo can perhaps still remain in other countries if they were to lose in other countries there is the possibility there is that possibility because uh, laws are different uh, the judge that's presiding over it is different uh, bearing in mind all these cases are definitely going to go into appeals so higher courts could overturn lower courts decision so we are not seeing the end of this anytime soon actually That was Leslie Lim, a lawyer from Ma Wing Kwai and Associates, breaking down the Epic Games versus Apple battle from the legal perspective. Let's hit for a short break. Stay tuned. This is Gigi Wellplayed on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, listening to Gigi Well Played, I'm your host Hanif Baharudin. We're still talking about the Epic Games versus Apple story, though this time we're looking at it from the legal perspective, together with Leslie Lim, a lawyer with Ma Wing Kwai and Associates. She has given us a primer on how it all started earlier and now we're going to look at the arguments from both Epic Games and Apple. So um, before we go into the arguments, let's just break down what exactly uh, Epic Games has filed uh, in the US courts. So they're basically arguing uh, Apple is monopolizing the market in two instances. First is through the uh, distribution of apps through the Apple App Store. All right. So it's, we're talking about just distribution of app itself. And the second one is in terms of the in-app payment. So the fact that developers have no choice but to use Apple's uh, payment processing system uh, whenever they want to put their app up on the App Store. So two forms of monopoly by Apple. All right, so the charges that we're going to see, this is going to be a little bit legalistic, um, but basically uh, Epic has raised 10 counts of charges against Apple, uh, six counts under the Sherman Antitrust Act 1890, and this has got to do with unlawful monopoly, uh, denial of an essential facility, unreasonable restraint of trade, and then tying of the app distribution market to the payment system. Uh, we see three counts under the California Cartwright Act and one count under the California Competition Law. Yeah. So let's let's go a little bit into the arguments. So, so let's very keen to break this down. So because Epic is the party that has filed this claim and this suit, Epic will first need to convince the judge that Apple is monopolizing the market. Okay. Monopoly. But when we speak about monopoly, we're saying that one party is dominating the market. But if we look at the market share, I'm sure you, you know this as well, Hanif, Apple doesn't actually own the majority of the market share. You know, iOS users make up for what, 20% of, of the market. Android still dominates at 80%. Even when we look at PC, uh, Windows still dominates the bigger part of the market as compared to Mac's uh, OS. So... How exactly is Epic going to try and prove that monopoly? And the judge has even already said uh, in the proceedings that there is no definition or there's no legal authority of what is a market. Hence why here we see both parties are going to spend a lot of time trying to define what a market is. And then from there, Apple is going to want the judge to take a very narrow and uh, conservative approach. Okay, the fact that Fortnite is a video game that's not only played on the iPhone, yeah, Fortnite is played on PlayStation, which makes up for the, the, the vast majority of Fortnite's revenue, by the way. You, you see it on the Xbox, you can play it on Nintendo. There's, there's so many other platforms that you can 
play it on. So Apple will say, where then is the monopoly? Because I, in fact, have so much competition. I have competition from, from Sony. I have competition from Microsoft. So how am I monopolizing the market? Yeah. Epic is then going to say that not only are you monopolizing the market, Apple, you are also abusing your position. Yeah. Because um, this is the part where I was saying just now about tying, right? Tying products. So Epic is going, sorry, I'm, I'm getting a little bit technical here, but Epic is going to try to say that uh, you are abusing your monopoly in the market by tying one product to the other and saying that first you say that the only way for me to distribute an app is through your app store. And then flowing from that, you are tying that to the payment system. So you're tying product A to product B. But Apple is saying, hey, Epic, you've, you've got it all wrong. You're interpreting this all wrong. The distribution market and the payment system is not two products. They are, in fact, just one product, which is basically the iOS. Yeah. So these are some of the arguments that we're probably going to see uh, both parties raising. And one of the key things that, you know, in the this starting few days of the trial, we see Epic trying to prove the fact that the iPhone or mobile in general is essentially a mini computer. And if, if when we play and buy games on our PC, we have a variety of, of stores. We can do it through Steam. We can do, do it through the Epic Game Store. You have a variety. So if on PC you can have options, why can you not have the same options on mobile, which is essentially a mini PC? So other than the fact that Epic has filed this suit uh, immediately in its defense, it's important to note that Apple has filed a countersuit to say that Epic, you have violated and breached the terms of our developer agreement. Yeah. So as you mentioned just now, this, this 30%, we call it Apple tax, uh, is going to be at the core and the center of, of this suit. And Apple feels that 30% is justifiable. Yeah. Apple is saying that, look, at the end of the day, I created the App Store. I developed the App Store by being that sort of gatekeeper to the App Store. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm giving you a vetted experience. I vet through, you know, bugs. I, I vet through data security. You know, I, I try to vet through uh, uh, scan uh, apps. You know, I even help you with your marketing. So 30% is justifiable for me to take. And I think also going to try to raise the argument that 30% is actually in line with what the rest of the industry is charging. Yeah. I think Apple did a, a study uh, and it's Apple's charging 30%. Google's charging 30%. I think Samsung Galaxy Store is charging 30%. Microsoft and uh, Amazon's App Store are also charging 30%. Um, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think Xbox for consoles Xbox, PlayStation, and Steam are also charging 30%. In fact, um, Tencent, which is the 40% shareholder of, of uh, Epic, charges 50 to 55% commission for its games, actually. And so, you know, Tim Cook has, has come out in the media to say that, look, everyone, this Apple tax used to be 50 to 70%, and we've, in fact, lowered it by half, and we've able to sort of maintain that 30% over a period of time. And what I think um, uh, sometimes uh, we, we tend to forget 
is that this 30% was in fact in place since the iTunes store came about, you know, since Steve Jobs' time. And back then, the music industry had also raised complaints that 30% was too steep. But because of Apple's dominance, you know, players just couldn't afford to not be on, on the iTunes store at that point in time. And so I, I think those are some of the arguments that, that Apple raised in support of the um, 30%. But Epic is going to say that, why can't you allow other payment processors? You know, there's, there's PayPal, that's Stripe, which charges only 3%. And that is one-tenth of what you are charging Apple. So that's, that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, I feel like Epic Games, because they are fighting for this, they are also technically practicing what they preach via Epic Games Store, where they are competing with Steam, another another dominant player in the market, especially on the PC side of things. Uh, Epic Games Store offer uh, like a lower cut, which makes it appealing uh, for developers to sort of like, you know, put their games on Epic Games Store because they technically have a higher cut if they were to put it on Epic Games Store versus on Steam, right? So so I find that, at least on that front, Epic Games is quote-unquote trying to practice what they preach in that sense, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly as what you pointed out. I think Team Sweeney has sort of, you know, become this front man for this crusade for an open ecosystem, you know, trying to persuade other parties, you know, we can bring this down to 12%, 3%. And then Epic is definitely going to try and paint Apple as this, monopolistic, you know, company who owns trillions of dollars, you know, you don't need 30%, you know, you're curtailing innovation. But uh, clearly, as you said, the developers have already sort of voiced how stringent they feel this 30% is. And we see big developers, um, you know, for example, if you want to purchase a a Kindle book, um, you can no longer do it through the app you actually have to go onto the website, purchase the book, and then only read it on your app. And this is just one of the many ways that we see developers trying to circumvent that 30% uh, tax. Um, And as you pointed out just now, the timing of this suit by Epic is so good as well because it comes at a time when antitrust pressure has been mounting against big companies like Apple and Google. Uh, In fact, There are antitrust investigations ongoing in both the EU as well as the uh, congressional antitrust hearings in the US. And Spotify has been very vocal in their support for Epic uh, in these proceedings. And in fact, Spotify actually uh, filed a complaint against Apple with the European Commission last year. So that started in March 2019. And the decision just came out two days before Uh, Apple filed their their court papers and the EU's uh, decision was in fact in favour of Spotify and and the EU actually concluded that Apple was in fact violating antitrust regulations. But as we spoke about jurisdiction and law just now, that is in the EU and this is in the US. So a different decision could come come out of this. If I'm not mistaken, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Epic Games have also filed a lawsuit against Google as well, right? And yet, the spotlight seems to be more on Apple. Why is that the case? Um, I think it's just a matter of timing. Uh, So, Epic, you're right. They have filed a similar complaint for injunctive relief against Google. Uh, And and 
I think the introductory paragraphs are the same. They did that same jab on, on the 1984 Apple uh, app thing in their introductory paragraphs. Um, the charges are also similar in the sense that there's monopoly in terms of the distribution of apps uh, and also in terms of the payment system. I guess the only difference is that a trial date hasn't been set for Google's case yet. All right. Um, so from your point of view, um, looking at it from the legal perspective, who has a better case here? Wow. <laughs> That's a tough question to answer. Um, in every litigation proceeding, parties will need to prove their case in two ways. First is through documents. And in this instance, we see so many emails and documents that have surfaced. There is in fact a, a public folder that's available online where you can view all the documents that are part of the trial proceedings. And I, I was just going through the opening statement of, of both Epic and Apple. They did it in a PowerPoint slide format. Um, and so all these documents have surfaced and, and Apple's going to be very cautious because Apple has always sort of had this image that they sort of curate and present to the public. But these emails are going to show a lot of the uh, insider workings of these two major companies. And the other way that parties are going to try and prove their case is through witnesses. So we've already seen a host of witnesses take the stand. Team Sweeney, uh, the, the Microsoft lady has taken the stand. Uh, Tim Cook is obviously going to take the stand in time to come as well. So parties are going to have to prove their case through these two ways, documents as well as witnesses. In terms of uh, who stands a better chance, I think it's still very much in the early stage of the trial proceedings. A little bit hard to say. I think from the outset, Epic is going to have an uphill battle to prove that monopoly by Apple. That is the first hurdle that Epic is going to need to overcome. In terms of Apple's side, you know, that, that argument of the 30% uh, in line with market, you know, current market uh, practices is, is quite a, a favorable argument, I would say. And that coincides and is, supports the fact that at the end of the day, Apple is a private company. Um, to what extent should they be entitled to, you know, fix these amounts on their own, run the companies in the way they deem fit? So it's, it's basically like a willing buyer, willing seller situation. I fix this price. This is my garden that you want to come into play. If you're willing to pay the price, you can come into the garden. If you're not willing, you can stay out there. <laughs> so Apple is probably going to take that position. But a couple of things to, to bear in mind in terms of the legal side. So although the judge presiding over this case is a federal judge. So she's not going to be bound by state laws, but there is a new bill that's coming up in Arizona, which is going to prevent, you know, digital distributors like Apple and Google from forcing customers and developers to use one single payment system. That's something that's, that's going to be coming up soon, but it, it's still a state law. Yeah. And if that law is passed, that bill will mean that people like Google and Apple uh, can no longer force people to just only use their payment system. Yeah, that's one thing to bear in mind. The other precedent I would say that it's sort of in favor of, of Apple is uh, there was a case uh, that started in 2017, and this is uh, the Federal Trade Commission filed a, a suit against a company called Qualcomm. Okay, so Qualcomm owns uh, patents that are essential to the creation of mobile phones. 
And the FTC was saying that, hey, Qualcomm, you are using your dominant position in the industry because you have these patents to extract unreasonable fees from, from players in the industry that are relying on your technology. And the judge in that case actually decided in favor of the FTC and said that, yes, Qualcomm is abusing its monopoly power. And the judge, in fact, wrote like a 200 over page decision. But unfortunately, it's been overturned uh, by the higher courts. The appeals court have overturned it. And what's um, favorable to Apple, I would say, is the judgment of the appeals court. And they said that there is no anti-competitive behavior by Qualcomm. They were, in fact, being hyper-competitive. Yeah? They asserted their economic value. They used vigor, imagination, devotion, ingenuity. They used their sharp elbows to, to make their way around the market. And this is what businesses do. So they weren't being anti-competitive. They were being hyper-competitive. And Apple's probably going to use this case in their favor uh, and argue that, yeah, Apple, I'm being hyper-competitive. I'm doing what I need to to solidify uh, and, and survive in this market, in this competitive market today. Um, how will the verdict be delivered? Um, the, the judge that's presiding over the, the matter, I think her name is Judge Yvonne, I think it's Judge Yvonne Gonzalez. Um, so at the moment, the case is being heard by a single judge. It's not a jury case. So the judge is going to hear both parties present their case. So Epic is now presenting their case through their different witnesses. Apple will present their case through their different witnesses later. Uh, and then the judge will give uh, her verdict. And uh, like we said just now, uh, I think whichever way the decision swings, Epic and Apple are sure to file an appeal. <laughs> the ramifications, the implications of this decision is just far too great to not file an appeal. Okay. Um, so we've been following the developments of the case since it happened, I think last week, right? So what I find quite interesting is that the companies have been calling witnesses from their place in the industry, right? So you see a lot of uh, developments regarding these companies being exposed as well, right? May I know why that's the case? Like, why are we suddenly hearing about Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, uh, all these other companies uh, in a trial involving Epic Games and Apple? Well, I guess that again goes back to how both parties are trying to prove their case. If you remember, two methods through documents as well as witnesses. Um, so I guess this is all part and parcel of the arguments that they're trying to raise because we're talking about, you know, definition of market. We're talking about competition. We're talking about monopoly. So I think it's inevitable that you're going to speak about the other players in the market. And yeah, I, th I think people wonder, you know, how are they going to go about this? Because at the end of the day, a court proceeding is a public proceeding. Um, and as we mentioned just now, you know, emails are surfacing, we see financial documents, you know, that public folder available for you and me to view online. But there are proceedings in court. Uh, in fact, this took place on the first day of, of trial itself, uh, where parties are actually uh, either requesting for certain parts or certain documents to be redacted, which means that they're sort of, you know, blanked off. Uh, so you can't see the full document, you can only see parts that are relevant. The other one is parties are asking for documents to be sealed. Uh, sealed in the sense that only certain parties, very limited number of parties are able to view those documents. And, and so they, they can't be public for everyone in the world to view because 
uh, leaks are already happening. You know, uh, journalists are waiting to tear apart these documents and write about them in their articles. So I think the court and the judge acknowledges that some of these documents may contain uh, confidential information, trade secrets. You know, there could be uh, announcement about future games, you know, about how these companies handle their internal management and operations. So that's when the redaction and the sealing of documents will come into play, basically. That was Leslie Lim, a lawyer from Ma Wing Kwai and Associates, breaking down the Epic Games versus Apple saga from the legal perspective. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, you can find the podcast on bfm.my, our app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play and also Spotify. Do share your thoughts about the show or the games that you play via our email, ggwp at bfm.my. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin. Thanks for joining us. Game on. Till next time, GG Well Played. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.